Hey, how is everybody doing? I'm live a few minutes early because I saw Radio Free Mormon, Mormon being impatient for me to show up. So here I am. <laughs> how is everyone? I don't see any of you here. You're supposed to be here. Have I done this wrong? Ah, oh, there we go. Well, there's three of you. Welcome. Hey, Mark. <laughs> How you doing? All right, I'm going to chit-chat for a few minutes before I start my beloved important subject. And actually, this is a, this is probably going to be one of the most important live shows I do simply because of the nature of the subject. And we want to get clear. So if you do get here late, it's all good. It's all recorded. You can watch the rerun a hundred thousand times. You can yell at me about my hair being bad and all that jazz. Ten of us already. Good to see all of you. Hey, Marco F. Aloha. Hey, Teresa Pittman. Welcome. Welcome. Ruth Smart. Welcome here. Where is our beloved Radio Free Mormon? He said he was waiting. T.O., how you doing? Good to see all of you. I I got on just a couple minutes early uh, just so that I could get rambling and, you know, warm my voice up. <coughs> and now you know why I don't sing for a living, right? Keep your day job, dude. <laughs> well, only an idiot would do something like that live, and I just did. So here we go. Paul Osborne, good to see you, my friend. Oh, yes, RFM is getting his Diet Coke. Uh, let's see here. There's 13 of us. Two likes already. Oh, you guys are way too generous. Thank you. Um, I think tonight's subject is going to be well worth viewing uh, for the simple reason that this is a subject that, and I know you would think after all of this time, right, after all of the books and the articles and the papers and the YouTube videos and the interviews, you would think that everything would be clear by now. And yet there's just thousands of people out there that are still confused on this subject. And I was one of those until just recently in my life. And so I want to give a step by step progression of how I became clear about the Joseph Smith Papri. In large part, thanks to my two friends, Radio Free Mormon and Paul Osborne, that showed up. Thank you for showing up. I promise I'll give you some good information. Dean Schwank, welcome. Vlad, the impaler of your mom, thank you. You're making your own video. Yeah, absolutely. Do it, man. You can watch this video later. That's not a big deal. Do both all at once. Hey, good idea. Vlad, you are incredibly talented. Mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Looks like we've got a, a decent crowd already. So let me get started. Um, it's six o'clock. Oh, it's six oh one. I'm late. You know, it's like I do every morning at work. I I come in late and my boss kind of gives me one of those. No, I don't really. Let me explain what I want to do tonight. And, and I'm going to do uh, 
I apologize in advance up front. Um, I, I do have to do a little bit of reading. I will try mostly just to say it in my own words, but I have some things that I've thought through and I want to be able to express them precisely, right? So I wrote them down. Come on. What do you expect? A, a photographic memory? Come on, you people. You're asking too much. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, let's see. Book review soon. Yes, I, I will do book reviews tonight. You got it, T.O. I am going to do a book review tonight, I promise. Uh, there's a couple of very important books that uh, I am going to discuss without question. So let's do this. Let's do this. Hello, people. I am the Backyard Professor. And I am here to bear you my testosterone money. Okay, no, come on, let's get serious. All right, that's enough of that. Okay. <laughs> uh, here's the question. Here's the issue. Now, in the process of becoming disgruntled with the, well, with disgruntled with being an apologist, yeah right? Just dissatisfaction. Uh, for one thing, I couldn't refute Paul Osborne. <laughs> no, I, uh, I had to be honest with moi. Yeah. So I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable tonight, uh, because I'm going to share with you my, uh, apologetic mindset. I'm going to show you how I remained so unclear. There was just a, a fog. There were, there was uncertain information and understanding on what fit with what, how this particular piece of evidence actually worked, etc. So I had to get really personal with myself and ask myself, where exactly did I go wrong as an apologist, right? I mean, I've reread all of my old apologetic stuff, and I remember writing all of it and how much fun it was and the excitement and the verb and the, the thrill and all that. Hey, other sheep, how you doing? Welcome here. Um, and so I actually had to ask myself, where did I go wrong? Here's where the bottom of the line stopped with me. Here's what I was doing. Here's how it began. And here's how I carried it forth. I was defending the apologist's arguments. That is where I went wrong. Now, in saying this, let me let me make this perfectly clear. Tonight, I want to do a simple analysis, not a simplistic analysis, but a simple analysis of the evidence as we have it today of the, the Book of Abraham Papyri, the Egyptian alphabet and grammar, 
and Joseph Smith's involvement with it. And just get clear. Because instead of looking at the evidence, I, in defending my fellow colleagues, taking their arguments and saying, now that the internet is here, we have a way of really demonstrating Joseph Smith's a true prophet, that he is an excellent translator, and that the book of Abraham is the real deal, and the papyri that we have actually support him along with every single one of those exact correct translations and interpretations of every figure on those facsimiles, and that is what I focused on from the apologist's arguments. I, I went and photocopied off hundreds and hundreds of Hugh Nibley sources, but I read them just like he did. I read everything every apologist wrote, but in utilizing their arguments, in utilizing their use of the evidence, their biases became mine, and I didn't even know I had those. Now, like I say, I'm being vulnerable tonight because this calls for a strict personal honesty for me asking myself, where did I go wrong? Where is my fog coming from? As it turns out, it came from the Mormon apologists. Now, as a former Mormon apologist, that's hard. And if you if you were never an apologist, you don't get, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to say I'm special and you're not. None of that noise. Forget that noise. I'm just being bold, upright, straightforward, front with you. I did not recognize when the apologists were misusing the evidence. I didn't realize the apologetic bias when it came to, say, the, uh, the relationship of Joseph Smith's idea of revelation and the book of Abraham. You know, I read all of the doctrines and the apologetic information on the eternal nature of the intelligences in a pre-mortal existence because that doctrine was so fantastic in the book of Abraham. Things like that. I adapted their biases, their shortcomings. I had no idea they were misusing their sources because I wasn't looking at the evidence I was looking at what they were saying, and I was trying to make them, their argument, stronger. That's what I did as an apologist. Shockingly, to me, it's from the Mormons that I got the fog. So I had to ask myself, what do I actually know about the nature of the evidence here? 
let's let's take uh, an honest look, Carrie. What do you know about the papyri? That's when I began getting clear. And the great news is, it really is clear. <laughs> and I'm going to show you that in specific detail tonight. How's everybody doing? Okay, other sheep. We wanted them to be right. Oh, Moritz Butch. I didn't see that, no. Enoch, hey. Okay, you guys are here. Let's keep going. Here is what I want to do. Let me see. Let me make sure I covered all my bases because I want this to be understood clearly enough that uh, I, I'm going to use a new word tonight. <laughs> I mean, another word besides myopic. <laughs> I think uh, Bill Rail and Radio Free Mormon in last Wednesday's Mormonism Live got that one covered real good. That's a new word in Mormonism, myopic. You know, we lazy learners now, we're myopic lazy learners, right? My new word is irony. Look, as an apologist, former apologist, it is deeply ironic that it was the people I was defending that was causing me my confusion. That's deeply ironic. The church was paying them. Yes, I know. I, I've heard it a thousand times. Uh, I'm not supposed to mention Daniel C. Peterson because we've been told on our message board we talk about him too much. And so we are not to invoke his name nor argue about what he's doing. But uh, anyway, it is so ironic that the church is paying the apologists to confuse the issues. Now, this late in the game. Now, what are we at? 2022, right? 2022, the papyri have been here since 1967, right? So, I mean, let's give ourselves a chance. Let's give ourselves uh, a 10, 20-year chance to at least begin to get a grasp of the overall context of the papyri, the Book of Abraham, the Egyptian alphabet and grammar, and so on and so forth. Hey, Splunky Doink, thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. So. Here is the issue that makes this all worth it. The church pays its apologists to keep the issue confused in order to buy time. We've had 20 years to get a context of what the papyri is all about. Yeah? Okay, so it's 2022. We've had almost 50 years now with this papyri. And I spent a good chunk of that time being an apologist, and I am just now within the last five years, maybe six, getting clear on this. So if I'm confused, I know there's a lot of other people are too. And I'm going to share with you how I got out of confusion and how it can simplify it for you. 
I'm going to do this a little bit different, though. I'm not going to start at the beginning and come all the way up to today. Because my area of expertise, guess who my favorite apologist was? Yeah, Hugh Nibley. I started it off with him, and it was it was basically his material uh, that I used the most of. And then others began coming in. You know, John Gee got his Ph.D., a little later on, and then Kerry Moosnight, excuse me, and Michael Dennis Rhodes was hot to trot in it, and so on and so forth. So the essence of my apologetic was basically to emulate Hugh Nibley, and so on and so forth. So the issue, I want to begin in the middle of this issue in 1912, and share with you just briefly the positively excellent option that we have in understanding the 1912 issue where that's when Bishop Spalding got eight of the world's Egyptologists or else biblical experts to translate and test Joseph Smith's claims and they all proclaimed him a fraud, right? And it really caused John Witzow and Jodal and uh, all of those, B.H. Roberts, it gave those guys headaches and pimples on their cheeks. Uh, in worrying about, holy cow, they're going to wipe out the youth of the church and their testimonies. So they responded as best they could. Here, here is something that I want to get crystal clear before I begin elaborating the evidences, however, and this is really critical. In 1912, it was the Mormon response to the eight experts who declared Joseph Smith a fraud. And the way the Mormons handled this was, they said, hey, Enoch, thank you for showing up. Appreciate it. The new word is transrational. All right, I'll, I'll take that. They claimed the test, the Mormons in 1912, 1913, 1914, claimed that Spalding's test was illegitimate because, and this is important, the original papyri were crucial to make a proper test. We don't accept the verdict of the Egyptologists because they aren't using the originals of the Egyptian papyri. And this response is entirely valid. That's, that's a correct response. The Mormons in 1912, 1913, 1914, their response was correct. It does take the original papyri, in order to honestly test Joseph Smith. That makes perfect sense. So the Mormons used this pretext. Now, the papyri were sold after Joseph Smith was martyred, right? Uh, they eventually sold. They were who knows where. Some of them did end up realistically in Chicago. Some of them were probably destroyed in the fire. Others went to the Metropolitan Museum in New York. And now in 1967, they were brought back. They were actually given back to the church as a gift. So in the 1912 era, 
the Mormons had the better argument. Sincerely. I give credit where credit's due. That, that you must do because it was the Mormon thought now. Now, here's the Mormon thought. And this is where I was approaching it as an apologist, right? I mean, Nibley wrote his great big series of articles. I've got them all. Hundreds and hundreds of pages of articles out of the improvement era on the 1912 affair, right? I read those, boy, over and over and over again. And it was the Mormon thinking here that if we have the original papyri, then the prophet can be tested and proven correct. And the Mormons back then said so. They said it that way. So with the discovery of the papyri and the return of the papyri in 1967, along with the facsimiles, some of them, Number three, we don't have the original of. Number two, we do now. And number one, even though they're damaged, it's okay. They were brought back. So now we do have the original text that Joseph Smith translated the book of Abraham from and those facsimiles with all of his in interpretations and translations and descriptions. Okay? So, so we have everything now, we have the condition that the Mormons in the 1912s were calling for. Today we have it. This is real nice. This is real, real nice. I want you to be aware that this was the Mormon thought, wasn't the critics thought. The Mormons insisted we have to have the original before we're going to accept any verdict. Anything before then is premature, and they were strictly correct. That's what I want to get across. That is why I used this as my entry point into apologetics, of course. That makes sense, right? It does. It does. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, this is what gives the uh, the book of Abraham as the smoking gun issue in Mormonism. You know, if you've read, and most of you probably have, if you haven't, you, you should. Uh, if you've read Jeremy Runnell's response, his CES letter, the, it's world famous now, really, truly. Um, his theme in responding to fair is that we have the original materials now, so we can carry on a legitimate test. Now, when we come to uh, unique doctrines, you know, let's say uh, Jesus walking on water, Jesus ascending to his father after he was resurrected, right? Uh, the eternal intelligences, uh, eternal existence in a premortal existence, so on and so forth. Any of the unique doctrines that the church can teach and does teach from whatever scripture, it's irrelevant, or, or from history, it doesn't matter there either. If this is Radio Free Mormon, I'm going to slap him. He does this to me periodically. Oh, it is. Hang on just one minute. Hello. 
What? What do you mean you're all waiting for me? You're all in here. I'm already going. Are you Are you serious? Yeah, I started at six o'clock. I've got 60 people in here. Okay, back. How how does that happen? I, I jumped on at six o'clock. Well, that's the one I thought I entered in. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah, let them know. Uh, just tell them to bump out and then go back in because I'm on right now. Okay, you bet. Now, issues. <laughs> and it's probably my fault. I apologize. Anyway, uh, yes. Um, so this is the... Uh, this is the idea with these unique doctrines, with these ideas that there's no real evidence for any of the unique doctrines in the church. There just really aren't. And so the, uh, the church can invoke faith here, right? Because how are we going to test the eternal nature of intelligences from a premortal existence? You're not. You can't do that. There's just no way. So invoking faith uh, is the church's way of keeping a lid on it without having to invoke evidence, right? That's how this works. With this Joseph Smith papyri, it changes. Because now the church can't invoke faith. It is a superfluous issue because we actually have the evidence. Now, this is key. This is so important. This is a great idea because this shows us the relationship here with faith and evidence doesn't it? Really for real. So with the original papyri that the Mormons insisted on in the 1912 issue, now we have it. And it couldn't get better. It's fabulous. So what I want to do now is I want to do just a very simple, oh, I hope, I hope everybody else makes it in. They were saying, uh, Patty Kate, good to see you. I hope everybody makes it in. Uh, RFM said that they were waiting for me on another link. I'm not quite sure what I did wrong. I I thought I tagged into that link. Here we all are. So anyway, for those of you who got here late, welcome. Um, I'm just barely getting started technically anyway. So here is the interesting theme that I want to share with you on the nature of the evidence. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this uh, very slow and one by one. I'm not going to try to be simplistic. I'm not trying to talk down to you. Remember, tonight's my night to be vulnerable. I had to truly just put away in my mind everything I knew, so to speak, and start fresh with the evidence and go one step at a time. So please don't think I'm I'm trying to talk down to you. I am not. I am just showing you how I got clear 
on this issue with the papyri. And it really is easy to get clear with. Number one, and I'm going to make sure that we can see this. Everyone is agreed that this is real Egyptian papyri. Everyone is. That's not an argument. That this isn't uh, this isn't a critic or an anti-Mormon trying to sneak a little bit of extra knowledge to get a point against the Mormons. It's not the Mormons trying to manipulate the argument in order to get a point up above on the anti-Mormons. No, no one's arguing here. Everyone is truly agreed, no matter what side the issue, that Joseph Smith really did have real Egyptian documents, okay? That's number one. The second point about this that I got real clear on, real fast. Hey, welcome all you guys coming in. I apologize that uh, the link didn't work, doggone it. That, that Realistically, that's my fault. Um, I'm just barely getting started. You haven't missed a lot. I'm just reviewing the step-by-step -step process on how I got clear on the relationship with the papyri and the book of Abraham and the Egyptian alphabet and grammar and so on and so forth. So truly you haven't missed a lot. The second thing that when I got clear on this next issue, I was stunned. I was pleasantly surprised at what this did for my clearing of my fog on this issue. And it is simply this. Again, I'm not arguing. The anti-Mormons are not arguing. The pro-Mormons are not. A, I call them anti and pro for both sides, all sides, everyone who's ever dealt with this issue. This is not an argument yet. It's simply a state of the fact of the evidence. When Joseph Smith, he had two roles. I know the John Gee issue. I'm not talking John Gee stuff. I will deal with him in two weeks from now. Next Sunday, I will discuss Kevin Barney's Semitic adaptation theory. In two weeks from tonight, I will deal with John Gee's materials. For right now, Joseph had two scrolls. When he unrolled the scroll, here's what he would have seen. This is not an argument. I am simply stating the nature of the evidence here. And it's a cheap black and white picture, but it really serves the illustration well. Everyone knows that the Book of Breathings on the right-hand side has facsimile number one. Then you see the writing. Then on the other end is facsimile number three. There are other books of breathings besides this one that Joseph Smith acquired. And some of those other book of breathings also has an illustration on the right. Egyptian was read from right to left. Depends on what direction the hieroglyphs are pointing, I agree, but as a general rule. So on the right-hand side was the beginning illustration, then the text, and then it ended with an illustration. Now we have we have the original facsimile number one, right? 
it's damaged. But it was hooked to that book of breathings. And then on the other end over here, we don't have the original of facsimile number three, but it would have been on this end. And there's a small bit of papyri in between these two that are miss, that's missing right now. And I will get to that later. This is what Joseph Smith would have saw when he unrolled the papyri. Okay, so the next issue that I want to share, again, simple, but this is how I got out of my fogginess, is this particular fragment here. This particular roll that the Book of Abraham facsimile number one and three was hooked to is the Book of Breathings, but Joseph Smith also had other papyri that they were describing and talking about. And this papyri, because of in descriptions of various writings from Oliver Cowdery and other of the early contemporary witnesses to the papyri, I keep saying papyri and papyri, I apologize. It shows I'm such a rank amateur idiot wannabe. The Joseph papyri is a legitimate book of the dead. Bits and pieces and parts of it. It's not the whole thing. Of course not. So there are actually two different kinds of Egyptian documents. A book of breathings and a book of the dead. Okay? Again, this isn't an argument. I'm not trying to trip you up if you're a Mormon. I'm not trying to trip you up if you're a critic. No one's arguing anything. This is just the state of the evidence that absolutely everybody agrees. Let's find out where the agreement is, and it could lead to greater clarity. That's what I'm hoping for. Okay. Doug Vincent, good to see you again. Patty Cake, I said hello. Oh, Tim Rathbone, thank you for showing up. Tom Miller, good to see you, etc. So let's keep moving on. Oh, and the, once again, it's very important. This particular group of papyri, the book of Joseph was not translated. And I know, we all know that. but. I, I'm going simple so that I can clear the fog. Oh, thank you, Splunky Donk. That's very kind of you. So now uh, let's get to the, <laughs> okay, this is a simple item, but I'm not kidding. It is deeply important. And I'm going to try to show it to you. I'm going to get really, I'm going to start getting really excited here in just a moment because uh, I have the, the text of the Joseph Smith papers uh, of the Book of Abraham papyri. I've been told to call it papyri. I don't know why I keep calling it papyri. So anyway, um, this is the complete thing. Now, this has all of the papyri that were brought back, plus all of the Egyptian alphabet and grammar, plus the alphabet document, plus the Book of Abraham translation folio, plus the 1842 Willard 
was was Willard Richards. Anyway, the 1842 full ride out of the Book of Abraham. This has it all, and it is in fantastic detail. Now, the photography is spectacular. This is what we were hoping for. This is what we wanted. Now, I've been bellyaching for 30 years, you know, why won't the church release the papyri and all that jazz? In a way, that's been a blessing because the technology, the photographic technology has caught up now, and this couldn't be more beautiful. It is absolutely exquisite, so let's give them credit where credit's due. And again, the irony is that the church has handed the evidence to the world, finally published now, because they were basically forced to come clean and quit hiding all their stuff, and so they're doing that with this Joseph Smith Papers project, but they have now handed us the evidence that shows why Joseph Smith is a lousy translator, and that's being very charitable, right? Let me show you this. This next point I'm about to show you, and I'm going to show you right out of the book. I mean, you get it straight from the horse's mouth tonight. It's very important to understand the identification, the label, the description of the facsimiles the three facsimiles in the book of Abraham. This is not the modern church today's description. This is how Joseph Smith himself labeled them. This is important. A simple point, but it's really important to work through the implications of this, which I'm about to do. First, I'm going to show you the evidence, right? Straight from the book. What do you see there? Times and Seasons, facsimile number one, from the book of Abraham, right? Facsimile number two, what do you see on the top there? A facsimile from the book of Abraham. Facsimile number three, this is so important. And I know you go, yeah, yeah, dude, we've read this a hundred times. Wait. Remember, I'm trying to get clear tonight. I'm going to help clear the fog if you have any. This was an important vital step for me to clarify. Facsimile number three, as Joseph Smith identified it, a facsimile from the book of Abraham. We just fly through that and say, yeah, 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 we already know all that. No, no. We know how Joseph Smith identified that. That's vital, okay? And here's why. I wanted to make sure I showed you all of the three facsimiles, okay? And I did that. Uh, now, he said, Joseph Smith said these facsimiles now were a part of the papyri book of Abraham, not Joseph Smith putting them together. They weren't just separate documents that Joseph Smith decided, hey, I'm going to put these cool-looking pictures with this book of Abraham. That's not, oh my goodness. Doug Vincent, thank you so much. That's very kind. I appreciate that. So, 
Paul Osborne, I agree with you, brother. The Joseph Smith Papers Project here rocks. And thank you to my beloved friend, Radio Free Mormon, for helping me acquire this excellent source. <laughs> horse, horse says, preach it or I'll give you the mummy's curse. Yeah, no, I'm preaching it. Trust me, I don't want the mummy curse. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Here is what, here is the point that I want to get across to you is that the, and this is the simplest picture to show you. I, this is the same photos in the Joseph Smith paper. I, I so promise it is. Facsimile number one was part of the original roll. And the roll went all the way along. And then over here on this side, it ended in facsimile number three. That was one roll of papyri. Now, whoever it was, I don't care at this point. Someone in Joseph Smith's day cut up this roll into pieces. Sheets is what the contemporary witnesses talked about. And I will be getting the, to them tonight. There's some very important information on that that I want to share. Originally, the roll was... Facsimile number one was drawn, created, and written down on the same roll as the Whore Book of Breathings and as facsimile number three. This isn't an argument. All parties agree to this, you guys. This is not a Mormon trying to sneak one up on the critics. It's not the critics trying to muddy up the waters of the Mormons. We're not even arguing anything yet. We're simply showing the nature of the evidence. There were only two rolls and a few fragment pieces, which we suspect facsimile number two was one of those because it is the hypocephalus of Shashank instead of belonging to Hor, like all of the papyri interestingly enough, identify in that book of breathings. In facsimile number one, in the book of breathings itself, and in facsimile number three. Hello? Yes? Oh, good. Can I call you back? I'm doing a live session right now. Let, let me call you back. Thank you. I'll call you back in about an hour and a half. Okay. Okay. Thank you. See ya. So here's the, here's the idea here that is so critically important. When the facsimiles were cut, and I'm going to do this dramatically because I did this with myself dramatically, and it clicked. It, it opened up. Uh, I saw for the first time the significance of the identification that Joseph Smith gave the facsimiles. It, and I, I hope this doesn't. There's facsimile number one. Now, when they cut it, I'm going to tear it. When they cut the facsimiles from the papyri, and then they also cut the papyri also, they cut that in different sections. 
and then they cut off facsimile number three from the papyri. And I'm not doing this very well. Just imagine it being cut. When they say that the facsimile number one is from the book of Abraham, it was created right along with the book of breathings. Facsimile number three was drawn and written about at the same time the entire book of breathings was at the same place on the same role as facsimile number one. When they say facsimile number one is from the book of Abraham, and they say facsimile number three is from the book of Abraham, Joseph Smith identified the book of Abraham for us. It is this book of breathings. The facsimile is from the book of Abraham. It was cut from the book of breathings. That means the book of breathings is the book of Abraham. And both facsimiles demonstrate that identification, that was a huge moment for me. We do, in point of fact, have the original book of Abraham papyri. papyri. It is the book of breathings. The facsimile one and three are from the book of Abraham. Now that's impressively important. I can't emphasize that enough. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other part that, that is so remarkably interesting is with, now there's a, there's four folios of documents that the Joseph Smith papers. Now this is Brian Hoglid and, uh, and Jensen who put this wonderful volume together. And yes, we know John Gee gave us sour grapes in his review of it. Ignore that ridiculous review. Get this book. It is expensive. Now, here's the beautiful news, you guys. Really seriously. It's pricey. It's over $100, okay? The church has put all of what's in here on their website. Seriously, it's it's fabulous. Go to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and type in Joseph Smith Papers Project, and, and you can look up any of these. It's fantastic. It's absolutely exquisite. There is in a folio that is called the... Now, there is an Egyptian alphabet. Okay? Hold on, I've got it. I'm not kidding. There is a folio called, now this is not the alphabet and grammar. Now this is another thing that this wonderful Joseph Smith Papers book helps clarify for us. This is this particular document I'm about to show you. I, I'm going to show you the black and white because I photocopied it because it's easier to show you. This document is called the Egyptian alphabet. 
Now, in the history of the church, there were a couple of times when Joseph mentioned that they were him and Oliver or else him and Warren Parrish or Willard, whoever it was he was working with, Frederick G. Williams. They talked about creating an alphabet of the Egyptian language. This is the document A in the alphabet. Joseph Smith wrote this. It's in his handwriting. And what they did, you can see that there are hieroglyphs and then descriptions. Uh, they tried to describe the uh, the sound and and what the uh, what each letter or hieroglyph meant, etc, because they were trying to form an alphabet. Now, this, document is really important because they used this document to get some of the hieroglyphs from the papyri into another folio. This other folio now is called the alphabet and grammar. Okay. So hopefully I'm not messing it up. The alphabet and grammar is in the handwritings of Frederick G. Williams, William Wines Phelps, and Oliver Cowdery. It is in the alphabet and grammar that Joseph Smith was dictating to his scribes. And this is how the official church sanctioned Joseph Smith papers describes it. Okay. Hugh Nibley's analysis in his Kirtland Egyptian papers, uh, he was desperately trying, ironically, I'm going to use that word a lot tonight, sincerely, as a former apologist, all of this is just so ironic. It brings tears to my eyes to this day because it's so ironic. Nibley was fighting all of this, and the evidence is right in front of our eyes. In the alphabet and grammar, in the alphabet and grammar, we have, and you've all seen this, I don't need to show you this stuff, Egyptian characters on the margin, and then entire analysis of the different meanings of the characters in the first degree, second degree, third degree, fourth degree, fifth degree, six, five degrees, six degree. See, I told you I'm getting carried away. These five degrees, what they were doing, and they specifically identified, for examples, two of the hieroglyphs that they dissected, they took apart, and then each separate single individual part of the hieroglyph had a meaning. And as they went through each degree of meaning, the first degree of meaning was the simplest, the second got more complex, the third more, the fourth more. By the fifth degree of meaning in the alphabet and grammar now, 
you could have an entire paragraph of meaning of just one hieroglyph. And when it was put back together after being dissected and being shown in its five degrees, you could have a whole page from just one hieroglyph. This was their understanding of how the Egyptian hieroglyphics worked, and they have given us beautiful examples in the alphabet and grammar. Now, let's be clear. From the papyri, from the papyri, I did not realize this as an apologist, and this is crucial, and it's fascinating. Besides, I'm, I'm stone cold serious. Now, this is the alphabet and grammar, okay? Not the Book of Abraham translation section, the alphabet and grammar, which they also talked about in the history of the church. In the papyri, these hieroglyphs on the right side of facsimile number one is where they got their hieroglyphs to develop the alphabet and grammar. And I was not aware of that. This is fantastically interesting. Their entire attempts to produce, to come to an understanding using the Egyptian hieroglyphics came from these hieroglyphics on this side of facsimile number one. And they show them step by step in this book. And it's too unwieldy to, to show you. But, but it's it's in there, I promise. Absolutely everything is in here. These guys did a magnificent job. The reason I'm making a big deal about this, you guys, is because, once again, the documents that Joseph Smith was involved with, with the papyri, with the Abraham alphabet and grammar, and with the alphabet also came from the book of Abraham. They just used this side to develop their alphabet. Interesting. They always focused and they always used the Book of Breathings papyri. That's what I want to emphasize. That helps clarify. The only thing Joseph Smith ever focused on, focused, was his Book of Abraham. And the only papyri that he focused on and used to acquire an alphabet to acquire a working understanding, as he understood it, of an alphabet and a grammar was the Book of Breathings. None of the Book of Joseph. It's from the Book of Breathings. That is a huge clue. 
That is very important because my next point is going to again give us yet another angle toward the identification of the book of Abraham with the book of readings. This is the document we have right now. There is no missing scroll, you guys, that the book of Abraham's on. John Gee is simply out to sea on that. It, it's his unfortunate, no evidence exists for that. And I will tackle him in two weeks from now. Let me show you this. Now, this next part is exquisitely important. And I'm just going to show you the photograph. Oh, oh, come on. Bear with me, would you? This is too good to lose. This is just too good not to do. I have to do this. So I apologize. It's going to be slightly awkward, but I've got to show you the color. And you can look this up on the church's website, I promise. This is straight out of the text. Okay, now that's the alphabet and grammar. Okay, there is a beautiful color of the alphabet and grammar. And there's the hieroglyphs on the one side, and then they're describing the five different degrees and how each one of the degrees changes the intensification of the meaning of each hieroglyph. They go through every hieroglyph that they can, taking them apart. They didn't get very far, I've got to admit. A lot of it looks like it's just a whole bunch of invented gobbledygook because they were pulling apart the hieroglyphics. And we know they were getting the hieroglyphics from facsimile number one on the right-hand side of facsimile number one. When we get, okay, that's grammar and alphabet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grammar and alphabet, grammar and alphabet. Okay, now we get to the Book of Abraham manuscripts. And I want to start, okay, now that's, that's document B. Let me get to, let me get to Book of Abraham manuscript number A. A is really a good one. A is a beautiful one. Okay, now, now, okay, this folio is a separate folio from the alphabet and grammar. It's not the same one. There's another manuscript. This is it. This is called, by the Joseph Smith papers, the Book of Abraham translation folio. And the reason they call it that is because, once again, we see the Egyptian hieroglyphs there on the margin, right? And they go all the way down the page, and to the other side, across from those hieroglyphs, we see one or two, sometimes three, sometimes four verses of the book of Abraham from those hieroglyphs. Now, they translated... They, they translated the hieroglyphs from Abraham 1.1 to Abraham 2.18. It was not the full text of the book of Abraham. It was just partially finished because Joseph Smith kept getting into all kinds of trouble, uh, getting arrested, and his life was just in turmoil, so he could not actually finish this project. The question is, where did those hieroglyphs come from? Those hieroglyphs, 
that's just a quick black and white picture. This is a picture. This is a one of the pages of the Book of Abraham translation document, and it comes. Do you recognize that fragment? That fragment in color is the Book of Breathings. There's facsimile number one. They used these hieroglyphs here to develop the Egyptian alphabet and grammar. Then systematically, hieroglyph by hieroglyph, they began over on this side of the document. And, it, and it's you can see that great big gap in there, right? The lacuna, they call it a lacuna, the scholarly material. They began up here on the top row and they went all the way across hieroglyph by hieroglyph by hieroglyph by hieroglyph. That is where they got the hieroglyphs to translate the book of Abraham from. They used four rows of hieroglyphs. The top one, the and they started over here on this side of this gap. The second one, the third one, and the fourth one. And that is as far as they got. Those four rows of hieroglyphs off of the book of breathings, right? Which the facsimiles come from, which identify as the book of Abraham. So they got the alphabet and grammar from these hieroglyphs here. And they got the book of Abraham again from the book of breathings on this side of facsimile number one. But it's always from the book of breathings that the hieroglyphs are coming from that are involved mostly, that are involved with the book of Abraham. That is because that to Joseph Smith was the most important piece of papyri that he had at the time, and that's the one he was working with. More evidence that the Book of Breathings is the Book of Abraham. But I'm not done yet. <laughs> There's still more. No, really. <laughs> this is almost too good to believe. This is really sensational. Ed Ashmond wrote an article called... Joseph Smith's identification of Abraham in Joseph Smith Papyrus number one, the breathing permit of whore. And it's called the breathing permit of whore, the book of breathings, but the owner was whore. Some say Horus, whore, H-O-R. And so he identified where Joseph Smith pointed out the signature of guess who? Abraham. When, when Joseph Smith was showing contemporaries in his day, the papyri and the mummies, there are several people, and I have this, and I'll share this with you tonight. In the contemporary witnesses, I've got more ironic materials to share with you there. He would point to a, a hieroglyphic, and the, the witness would say, he would point out, and he would say, do you see that? And he said, yes. And he said, that is the signature of Abraham. 
he did this many, many times. And others who showed the papyri also claimed that. Right there. It's in, okay, here's the facsimile number one. Here's the first row of hieroglyphs. It's in the second row of hieroglyphs down about three quarters of the way. That one and that one. Joseph Smith identified that as the signature of Abraham. Why we know, and again, notice it's on facsimile number one, Book of Breathings, Book of Abraham. It's This is the papyri Joseph Smith showed off the most, talked about the most, and identified with the Book of Abraham every single time. Every single time. The reason we know that is because in the alphabet and grammar, this is so good. You guys, come on. It doesn't get better than this. In the alphabet and grammar that Joseph Smith got from this side of the hieroglyphs, they identify those two right there as Kiabraoam. And all of the all of the scribes identify that as Abraham. Ed Ashment wrote his excellent study on that in Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought on that. And he shows you, I've got it scribbled on, I apologize. He shows you the hieroglyphic, how it looks, and how they transcribed it in the alphabet and grammar. But that is definitely the signature of Abraham, according to Joseph Smith, who just happened to take it from the same papyri that he got the book of Abraham. Now think this through. And I've got a boatload of material on this. This is why I became so clear. In Joseph Smith's descriptions to all of the contemporaries, now understand, these guys had bought antiquities. This was huge. And they had the mummies. And they were invited. People were coming from all over the eastern United States, from the north, from the south, I'm not joking, by the hundreds, to view these antiquities. And while Joseph Smith was showing the mummies and he was identifying them, you know, one time he called that little runt of a fellow was the Pharaoh Necho. And he used a lot of biblical themes uh, in this papyri. He would constantly describe the signature of Abraham. And his critics, duh, were completely incredulous. They said, there's no way. And Joseph Smith said, there is, because this is, this is his book written by his own hand upon papyrus. And Joseph Smith said that several times. Now, what other book other than his own is Abraham going to sign his signature to? That's really good. I'm not kidding. 
That's some good stuff. But I'm not done yet. <laughs> I'm serious. Once, look, once I quit worrying about the apologetic argument and what they were saying and adapting their biases and their manipulations of the evidence, once I just looked at the evidence for Pete's sake, it becomes obvious, right? But there is more. There really is more. I'm not kidding. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on, I've got it. Oh, Dad, gummit. Hold on, I gotta go shut off my heater. I am so sorry. Sorry, this is going to be noisy for just a couple of minutes. I apologize. Okay, so there is still more possible ways to understand how this book of breathings is the book of Abraham. All of the evidence extant with what we have right now today point to this conclusion. Oh, yes. Here's one of the most decisive factors. Again, irony, really seriously. The papyri were given back in 1967. See? The church, of course, said, oh, dang, we've got to hide this. <laughs> you know, that's Mormonism for you, right? No, we can't let this out. So Dialogue hired or, or talked three Egyptologists into translating the papyri, Klaus Baer, John Wilson, and Richard Parker, three excellent Egyptologists, and their studies were published in the 1968 year of Dialogue, right? Klaus Baer was allowed, finally, he, he did his translation from photos, and he, he argued about that. He said, this, this is unsatisfactory, so believe me, this is strictly tentative. He said, I need to actually see the photographs to get more clear, you know, to really be able to do a good bang-up job on this. I've got to have the photos. I've got to have the originals. Now, the Mormons had the originals. That was their argument from 1912. Well, today, 1968, they had those originals, so let the Egyptologists look at them for Pete's sake. Hugh Nibley got Klaus Baer the photographs to look at. Klaus Baer identified, now this is such a nifty clue, you guys. This is so cool. What Klaus Baer found it, now, remember, this facsimile was on the right-hand side of the Book of Breathings. It was cut off. So the fibers on the left-hand side of facsimile number one exactly match the fibers on the right-hand side of this small fragment of the Book of Breathings. That is proof positive. Facsimile number one 
was next to the Book of Breathings. That's proof it was on the same roll. And this, remember, is identified by Joseph Smith as coming from the Book of Abraham. When he cut those, it came from the Book of Abraham. We have literal, true, physical evidence showing facsimile number one is from the Book of Breathings. Facsimile number one is from the Book of Abraham. The identification is really solid there. That's awesome. And if we had the original facsimile number three, it was taken from the book of Abraham on the other end, the fibers would match. They're like fingerprints is what the Egyptologists say. They say we can, we can hook uh, papyri together very, very easy because of that. The way the uh, papyrus fibers work. So again, one more time, one more piece of evidence. Yeah, yeah, this is fantastic. Now, we're not done. <laughs> Amazingly, there's still more. There really is genuinely more. I'm not just making this up. We're not done yet. Robert Rittner, the teacher of John Gee, the name John Gee loves to not hear, and I'm going to say it a lot tonight, Robert Rittner, the Joseph Smith Egyptian papyri, the complete edition, a complete edition. Okay. Rittner translated all of the materials, right? All of the papyri, because there was after, I mean, really, truly, there's no question Klaus Baer and John Wilson and Richard Parker did an outstanding job in 1968 based on lousy pictures instead of the actual papyri, although Klaus Baer was allowed to look at the papyri to check the fibers. It was Hugh Nibley that pointed out to him that facsimile number one belonged to the Book of Breathings, and then Hugh Nibley in his message of the Joseph Smith papyri said it was not from the Book of Abraham. Don't ask me how he could do that. I don't have a flippin' clue. But again, I was defending the apologists' arguments. I was not comprehending the nature of the evidence because I didn't look at it myself. The experts, they had, and I trust them. That's why I went wrong. That's why I was foggy. Hugh Nibley, in the message of the Joseph Smith Papyrus, in some of his BYU Studies articles, sincerely, he knew Facsimile number one came from the Book of Breathings. He knew and said so in print that facsimile number three came off of the other end of the Book of Breathings. And yet he denied it was the Book of Abraham. Why? I'll get to that. You already know the punchline, right? There is more to identify this book of breathings with the book of Abraham. Robert Rittner, now I'm going to read, I recommend his whole book. I've read it many times. It's outstanding. 
pages 115. I'm going to start reading here just a little bit. Forgive me if, uh, okay. But but I've got to read this because I want Robert Rittner's voice to be a clarion call. When I read this, more fog disappeared. By now, I'm getting pretty doggone clear. By now, you should be really doggone clear if you've been following me all this time. The Book of Breathings is fundamentally identified by Joseph Smith as the Book of Abraham. And all of the evidence points to that. None of it points anywhere else. And yet the apologists refuse the evidence. Now, in the 1912 era, they were screaming for it. So it shows up in 1967. And now they're screaming against it. What the hell? We'll get to that. You already know the punchline. Let me get to Robert Rittner, though. This is exquisite how he does this. <laughs> Another piece with false restorations and interpretate an interpretive distortion, interpretative distortion. Boy, I can't read tonight. My eyes are blurry. Joseph Smith reworked vignette as a facsimile from the book of Abraham number one. Okay, hold it. Isn't that how we've always read that? Okay, facsimile number one is a facsimile from the book of Abraham. No. Whoa, let's reread this. The explicit statement that the facsimile is from the book of Abraham refutes any reasonable, as opposed to apologetic skepticism, that Papyrus Joseph Smith, number one, the facsimile, was the source, or, or I mean the Book of Breathings on the other side of the facsimile, that was the source of the narrative that Joseph Smith translated the translation document takes those first four lines of hieroglyphs off of the Book of Breathings and derives the Book of Abraham using their alphabet and grammar that they acquired from the same role now, the same book of Abraham, only they got their alphabet and grammar from these hieroglyphs. So there's no question this facsimile from the book of Abraham. That's how to understand facsimile one. That's not decoration, folks. That's identification. So let me keep going. This, this is fabulous. This is so good. <laughs> okay, get serious. So this is the source that Joseph Smith titled The Book of Abraham. Translated, translated from the papyrus by Joseph Smith. That's what he claimed. 
And it's it's documented, man. It's in the history of the church. It's in the contemporary eyewitnesses that if I have time, oh man, I'm an hour 20. Seriously? Oh, I am so sorry. I'm taking too long. I want to get into these witnesses. I, I, I'll get a little bit, not as much as I, I may extend this the next week also, because this is too good to lose. Actually, yeah. Let me keep going here. I'm trying to be slow and methodological. I have to be that way because this is how I got clarity. Now there is, it is fundamentally clear. We have all of the papyri that Joseph Smith had to give us the book of Abraham and the book of Joseph. Now, no one is arguing that there's papyrus missing. We know there is some papyrus missing. We're not arguing nothing's missing. We are arguing with total evidence from Joseph Smith himself that we have the book of Abraham original right now. It's not lost. Oh, thank you, Splunky Doink. You're very kind. Keep going, he said. Okay, well, I'm going to keep going. I'm not done yet. I apologize for going too long, but sometimes this kind of an issue needs critical clarification, and I am so grateful that I now have it. I am so grateful that I have clarity now instead of fog, and I'm hoping that's what I can transfer to you guys. If not, please do re-watch this video again. I know I'm being amateur showing you the evidence from books and stuff like that instead of be like, forget all that. This is the direct evidence from the horse's mouth. That's what I'm trying to get to you. Okay, okay, okay. We know that this is the, the narrative of the book Abraham that Joseph Smith translated from Papyrus. I promise you guys, that is what he claimed. Joseph Smith himself said that, okay? Understand this, that's critical. In addition, the iconography. Now, iconography is a fancy term for the picture. The, the uh, you know, the picture. Where, oh, come on, Gary. Of the facsimiles. Oh, come on, I had them just a second ago. Oh, I swear to goodness. Oh, here they are. Okay, I, I just, I, I'm not trying to talk down to you. I so promise. I just want clarity. When a scholar talks about iconography, that's the picture. We see the guy with the knife, which is a complete ridiculous restoration. I, I mean, come on. That, that is, that, look. That is not in the original, right? The original uh, has been, there's a lacuna there. So, and there's no knife in that original. You're not going to find it. You're going to find some kind of a squirrely, idiotic looking supposed pencil restoration that's been completely destroyed by Robert Rittner. But the iconography is the picture, the guy, the, the bird, the guy on the couch, the lion couch, these four jars underneath this zigzag line with the crock, the iconography, the art, that's what they're talking about. Okay. When he uses that word, I, I promise I'm not trying to talk down to you. I so promise. So in addition, the iconography of facsimile number one, that's why I showed you facsimile number one. You've all seen this, right? The iconography, it is repeatedly cited 
<laughs> in the translated text of the book of Abraham. Hmm. <laughs> Let's keep going here. It cited within the narrative of the book of Abraham that Joseph Smith translated from the papyri. The art of facsimile number one is talked about in the book. Let's read. It says that you may have a knowledge of this altar. Now, in the first chapter, you guys, of the book of Abraham, he's talking about Abraham, and he, he was the attempted getting killed, and the priest of Elkanah put him on an altar and all that jazz. Then the text stops describing the story, and it says, oh, hey, by the way, just to show you what the altar looked like, take a look at the picture at the beginning of this record. Now, there's the key because we have proof. We have physical evidentiary proof that it was facsimile number one that was hooked to the book of breathings that the text is referring us to because the fibers match. It's on the one side of the facsimile number one, and it's on the other side of the book of breathings that's read from right to left. So when book of Abraham says, I will refer you to the representation at the commencement of this record, verse 12, Abraham 1, 12, the commencement of the record would have been at the right. And we know facsimile number one was on the right end of the book of breathings. That's why we know he was referring to facsimile number one. That's, that was originally part of, ta-da, the book of breathings, which Joseph Smith said was, ta-da, the book of Abraham. Fabulous. Now the translated text is even telling us the identification. This brought great clarity to me. Now I get it. But it's not done. I know I have more. It's amazing, guys. It's, it's like an avalanche of evidence. And I mean right now, here today, immediately, pronto, ta-da, thank you, thank you, Joseph Smith Papers Project. It's all in here. All of it. Photographs, analysis, text, all of it, man. They show you every hieroglyph, you guys. Hold on, I've got to show you this. They show you every hieroglyph in the entire papyri, one by one. And they, whoops, sorry. And they label where, which document the hieroglyph is found in. Is it in the alphabet and grammar? They identify that 
they show a photograph of each hieroglyph that Joseph Smith ever used. Is it in the alphabet book? They show you that. Is it in the Book of Abraham translation document? They show you that. Every hieroglyph, man, we have it all. Give credit where credit's due. I know. Yeah, it's about time. Okay, but hold on. Say thank you. <laughs> this is magnificent. Absolutely terrific. But we're not done. Okay. Uh, after introducing us, now this is Rittner, uh, page 116. Next page after 115, where I started. Uh Representation commencement of this record, Abraham 112. After introducing a series of idolatrous gods, and this is Abraham 113. Okay, so Abraham Abraham then goes back to telling his story about the idolatrous gods that was involved in his life in the text, the translated text, right? At verse 13, he says that you may have an understanding of these gods. I have given you the fashion of them in the figures at the beginning on the right of the papyri. To the right, I've shown you enough. To the right, where facsimile number one is. <laughs> Which manner of figures is called by the Chaldeans, Rolinos, which signifies hieroglyphics, which is bunk, but don't worry about it. That's Abraham 114. So again, he's talking about the four idolatrous gods of Pharaoh at the beginning. This is what he was talking about. And what do we have? The four idolatrous gods. On the right hand at the commencement of what record? Abraham's book that he put his signature on. The translated text identifies it, man. Oh, thank you, Radio Free Mormon. Appreciate that. Is that my, hi, Mike Weist. Doug Lyman, good to see you guys. Trevor, thank you for showing up. I'm sorry I'm not involved with the conversation. I'll talk about that later. Right now, I've got a lot of stuff to get through. This is so good, it's hard to... I'm thrilled how this clarified things for me. When I stop studying the arguments, damn it, and look at the evidence for myself, that is key. I promise. And now we have it all. So it's no longer a hunt like I had to for decades. No, it's all one spot right there. Joseph Smith Papers or on the church's website. So now in these citations, and we're talking Abraham 1, 12, 13, and 14. You can look them up yourself and read them and then go back to facsimile number one and look. That's the beginning of the record, the role, remember, taken from the book of Abraham. In these citations, the imagery of Papyrus Joseph Smith number one is said to stand just before, at the commencement, the beginning of the text of Abraham. And that's what we have. The facsimile number one 
at the beginning of the book of breathings, <laughs> which is the text of Abraham. The translated text identifies it. So the adjacent book of breathings of Hor was Smith's obvious choice, not a separate and now lost addition at the end of the roll. John Gee is just giving us ad hoc excuses. And his arguments haven't held up. The evidence absolutely shows otherwise. More. I, I'm not done. Is this not mind-boggling? I'm not done yet, man. Interconnections between Abraham's tale and the Papyrus Joseph Smith one are further demonstrated. Now, this is remarkable, and it's something only an Egyptologist would see. Thank you, Lord, for Egyptologists. Notice how Rittner saw this clue. I would have never seen this. These are further demonstrated by Joseph Smith's explanation of 12 figures in facsimile number one again. We're still talking about number one. That illustrate supposed events in the translated narrative of our book of Abraham in our Pearl of Great Price in English right now. He's talking about all of the figures in facsimile number one. Get this. This is fabulous. Figure one corresponds to the, the boss spirit of Osiris. That's that angel of the Lord. That was Joseph Smith's identification of the Bob bird, right? It was miscopied with the head of a bird uh, rather than that of a human. The boss spirit of Osiris is labeled the angel of the Lord. While this is arguably an anachronistic interpretation, the use of angel is an anachronism, but of course, we know that. Um, if, if one accepts Osiris as the Lord, then Smith surely conflated the figure with Christian imagery of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Figure two corresponds to the prone image of Osiris on the uh, to represent Abraham fastened upon an altar, right? That's the explanation in fact simile number one. Hopefully you've got your pearly great prices open and you're following along. The image inspired Joseph Smith's tale of human sacrifice in the land of Chaldee, Abraham 1.8. How Interesting. Very interesting. After the manner of the Egyptians, verse 9 and 11, upon an altar made after the form of a bedstead, Abraham 1.13, Osiris has been wrongly provided with the second upraised hand gesturing against the supposed attack of the priest, the figure three, the jackal head of Anubis deformed in Smith's illustration into a human-headed figure with a knife, perverted not only in form but in protective function. Anubis in Joseph Smith's explanation became the idolatrous priest of Elkanah, attempting to offer up Abraham as a sacrifice, which is what facsimile number one 
at the beginning of the record, Joe, illustrated the restored hand of Osiris and the false head of Anubis and the unresolved back line of his wig are copied and penciled on the backing of fragment one. And you saw that penciling. It's completely erroneous. The lion couch is designated as figure four, in fact, only number one, the altar for sacrifice, which the text of Abraham is talking about. So facsimile number one is entirely wedded to the book of Abraham text. And facsimile number one is attached to what? Don't say the book of Joseph. Don't say the book of the dead. Correct. The book of breathings, which Joseph Smith identified as the book of Abraham. The whole text talks about that. Uh, this is fantastic, man. So he's standing before the gods of uh, Elkanah, Libna, Mam, Akra, Korosh, and Pharaoh, as noted above the drawing of this altar as cited in Abraham 1.12 and the associated gods in Abraham 1.13 and verse 14 also. So the canopic deities are identified in inverted right-to-left order with those supposed deities, which the text is talking about. So the text is a commentary on facsimile number one, which, of course, is part of the text, the book of Abraham. Well, what's facsimile number one hooked to? The book of breathings. Okay. How much clearly does it have to get? How many lines of evidence have I showed tonight? Nine? Ten? I'm not done. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm out of time. An hour 37. I am so sorry. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let me keep reading for just another minute. I'm on page 118 of Rittner, his fabulous book, The Joseph Smith Egyptian Papyri. The answer, this is the one-man wrecking crew against Hubus Niblis, Jonas Gius, Kerry... I don't have a clue, Molstein and Michael Dennis, sneakier than all get-out roads. All of the Egyptologists. Oh, Wessie boy, thank you. Thank you. Very, that's very kind of you, my friend. Thanks. Tom Miller, hello. Good to see you again. Um, Ryan Larson, thank you for other sheep. You're awesome. Splunk, you don't. Mike Weist, you guys, you all rock, man. I, I'm so blessed to have great friends like you guys. Radio Free Mormon, Patty Cake. I know Ruth is Boyd X. Okay. Yes, you're welcome for the page numbers. That That is really basically pages 115 through 118. Oh, Radio Free Mormon, you are such a, you are pulling the new so tight, Guy's head is going to pop off. Yeah, you're not kidding, brother. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. Very kind. Okay, let me keep going. Um, okay, so. Hold on, I've got to recontext. I get so damn excited seeing how much there is. I, I mean, come on. This isn't just maybe a loose item here or maybe a questionable item over there. This is point after point after point after point after point after point after point from all directions demonstrating to us. Joseph Smith did too identify the book Abraham. Now, yes... This is exciting, but as a former Mormon apologist, it's appalling also.
because I was stuck in that stuff for, what, 15 years? And you guys, I can't explain this, but I couldn't see it. But the paid apologists can. And that, that, I, I know, here comes the conspiracy. No, no, I, you know, I'll get to that when I get up to Gee and Molstein and all those guys. Okay, let me go back real quick. I'm sorry for getting distracted. So, uh, figure seven, the idolatrous God. Figure eight, the idolatrous God, which the text itself is talking about, right? And then the crocodile belongs to a separate register. The mythological event is joined uh, to the canopic deities as figure nine, the idolatrous God of Pharaoh. Horus Sobek was a God of Pharaoh. So, one out of five is what Rittner gives Joseph Smith. And now even this has been disputed. Remember, Rittner... Good though he is, he still only is fallible and human. Sign signature books 2013. Well, this is nine years ago, right? So uh, new information has come out. I will get to that later. Um, I want to, again, publicly thank my friend uh, Paul Osborne, who hopefully is still here. He already knows all this stuff. So I hope I haven't bored you to death tonight, Paul. But that man is something else. You, you'll learn boatloads from him. So now, and then... And then the, uh, oh, I'm losing all kinds of stuff. Sorry. I'm trying to be organized, I promise. Okay, on this, on this, what Rittner's talking about next, let me show you this black and white. This is all in color in the Joseph Smith Papers Project. He's going to talk about, okay, and see, that's the crocodile right there. And you can see it in these zigzags down below. These guys that, now the text is talking about these. The idolatrous gods of Pharaoh and, and this guy and, and the angel of the Lord and the, the uh, bedstead. The text is describing this. And this came from the book of breathings. But the text is the book of Abraham translated from the text this was hooked to. And we know that's the book of breathings. So that's the book of Abraham. Now he's talking about this stuff. Okay. Just so we're clear. Again, I, I'm after clarity. I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm not trying to be a dork here, but so this is what he's going to talk about next. And let me read this because this is interesting too. The dado image of nished brick is styled figure 11 and it's designed to represent the pillars of heaven as understood by the Egyptians is the description. Joseph Smith as understood by the Egyptians is the description. You'll hear apologists, and I have as much evidence against this next claim as I have for the Book of Breathings being the Book of Abraham tonight. You will hear Egyptologists say, Joseph Smith never claimed to know Egyptian. <laughs> Laugh like crazy when you're told that. Laugh! <laughs> that is so much malarkey. Laugh! Be bold! Be bold! Yes, they have a PhD. That don't mean spit! We've got the evidence. The Egyptians, Joseph Smith, 
definitely claim to know it. There's one part. I have lots of evidence for this. I promise I will present it in the up and coming weeks. I promise. Just be patient. Be patient with me, man. I'm, oh my gosh. Time just flies when you're having so much fun. So, okay. So uh, this niche, the simple offering stand, uh, what he's talking about here is this thing here. See the little stand there? It's like a table. And then there's a little leaf. I'm not going to be surprised if that's some kind of a entheogenic plant, but we don't have evidence of that. But there's the offering table that he's talking about in conjunction with the pillars, <laughs> the so-called pillars of heaven. They're not. Very interesting here now. I'm not kidding. The, this represents Abraham in Egypt. Okay. And guess what? The translated text of the book of Abraham is saying, uh, Abraham's in Egypt. Duh. <laughs> What's facsimile number three? Abraham, by politeness of the king, sitting on the king's throne, doing what? Teaching the Egyptians astronomy, right? The translated text illustrates the facsimiles that were part of the book of breathings, which is the book of Abraham. Again and 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 again we come to that conclusion because of the overwhelming evidence. And you think I'm exaggerating. I'm not done. The Nile water, as explained the crocodiles in the zigzags, right? The Nile water is explained as figure 12, Rocky Yang, signifying expanse or the firmament over our heads. But in this case, in relation to the subject, the Egyptians meant it to signify Shamau, to be high or the heavens, answering to the Hebrew word Shamayim. Now Joseph Smith showing off, right? It was interesting, right in the middle of translating the Egyptian alphabet and grammar, Joseph is, that's when he sent, uh, it was a, uh, 1835, he sent Oliver Cowdery off to Sykes to grab a whole bunch of grammar books while they were translating the papyri so that Joseph Smith could learn Hebrew also, right? So he's he's throwing in the Hebrew descriptions here that supposedly the Egyptians understood as the pillars of heaven based on what the Egyptians said, according to Joseph Smith. And on the contrary, I'm even going to let you see this. That's Rittner's text. He says, on the contrary, the Egyptians represented the supports of heaven. Right there, right there. This sentence right here. That's what I'm reading. You guys can pause the video and read that. Rittner fundamentally eviscerates Joseph Smith's interpretations, in other words. That's bunk. The four supports of heaven, not the palace facade. The uh, the traditional offering stand is unrelated to Abraham, and there is no Egyptian word chamau, meaning higher heavens. He's right, but Joseph Smith wasn't claiming that was Egyptian. He was showing off some Hebrew, right? Oh, wait. Uh, oh. Oh. Well, yeah. So... At least there is agreement 
that the Smith explanations are untenable. And as the images are directly cited in the narrative itself, chapter one of the book of Abraham, yeah, uh, the underlying text of the book of Abraham has been found and Joseph Smith's interpretations disproved. There's the kick. That's why none of them want to identify, none of the apologists want to identify this book of breathings as the book of Abraham. But it is. It is. There can no longer be any question, there never could be a question, of some kind of a lost section of the papyrus that contained an ancient text composed by Abraham. Uh, since the author of the supposed pre-existence book of Abraham both claims and depicts the vignette as his own addition, facsimile number one, to the tale. Abraham cannot have lived as late as the Ptolemaic era, and, and I'll get into that later. My point in, in reading Rittner is just to show you yet again, uh, we have a valid scholarly uh, analysis here of the actual, uh, not only of the papyri. Oh, hold on just one minute. Oh, nothing like the waters of heaven. Actually, that's the waters of the Nile. Actually, that's the waters of Idaho. <laughs> oh, okay, so... Oh, man, I am at an hour and 50 minutes. Listen, I'll tell you what. Um, I, You know, mostly they say most people pay. Of course, and I do have 94 people. Um, and thank you so much for all coming. I I, I wish I could have. I'll, I'll talk. I'll read this. Uh, all right. You guys are having too much fun. You're not even listening to me. You're You're having fun in the chat. And I can't blame you. Okay, I will give you, let me, uh, I'm going to extend this to next week. I, uh, come on, I've almost gone two hours. That's too long, right? So let me, let me close for now, temporarily for now, saying this. And then I have something I'll share with you that you can go, if you desire, you can go look up and begin reading this week yourself. And then I will bring that in because that directly has to do with my next week's discussion on Kevin Barney's Semitic Adaptation Theory, which I am going to discuss next Sunday night, 6 p.m. again, Mountain Time. And then the week after that, I will start uh, discussing John Gee. Listen, Mormons talk about being on and staying on the covenant path, right? But apparently they feel perfectly at ease to bastardize, mar, and manipulate the covenant path of faithful historian juice of evidence, right? The historian Egyptologist covenant path of truthfulness and integrity with hieroglyphics and their translation without manipulation is the crucial covenant path to walk if credibility means anything to the Mormon Egyptologists right? So I'm going to throw the covenant path ideology back in their faces here. Because 
if their covenant path doesn't involve telling the truth and being truthful with historical sources, then it has nothing else to offer us. The evidence is what we have to follow. That is my firm testimony of understanding. This is what clarified things for me and cleared out the fog. It is why I am clear today. I have, let, let, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I do have another couple of minutes. I'm going to share with you real quick something that is just simply staggering, uh, exciting. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Right here. Here's another irony, you guys, a deep irony. Now, years ago when I was an apologist, I love to uh, go visit farms a couple of times a year, hang out with the boys, chum around, go to lunch, see see what the newest research was up to, and so on and so forth. Uh, and I became real good friends with John Twetness and, and Matt Roper. Well, one time Matt comes up to me, right? And he goes, hey, I've got something for you. And he hands me this great big research paper. I go, what's this? And he goes, well, he said, this is all of the contemporary witnesses who were looking at those antiquities in Joseph Smith's day and their reactions to seeing either the mummies or the papyri. They describe how Joseph Smith described things to them. They described how Mother Lucy Smith described things to them. You have all of the testimonies of everybody all the way up through 1880. From 1836, five to 1880. These guys found all of the material of the witnesses. Now, here is the beautiful irony. Matt Roper, a Mormon apologist and good friend. I consider him a good friend. I'm serious. He's a good guy. He gave me the evidence that now as I read, I find that the other Mormon apologist, John Gee, is manipulating what the witnesses say. Because I have it, and this is the full context. So I can see in checking on how John Gee uses the witnesses, I can see checking on how Kerry Moolstein uses the witnesses. I can, I can see, I mean literally, I can check up on them from one of their own, Michael Dennis Rhodes, and I can see that they are misquoting and it's on purpose in order to arrive at a conclusion that they want, not what the evidence of the witnesses and their information and their understanding, whether it's early Mormons anti-Mormons or the church leaders, I have it all. I can check, and I have been doing so. That's why I want to do 
a study here in two weeks on John Gee because, and it's so ironic that one of his own fellow scholars has given me the evidence to completely refute John Gee. And he's done this. He's manipulated the witnesses in more than one published publication. It is his method. And it's so unfortunate. It's not, it's not, oh, whoops, yeah, my eye skipped that line in this publication. I'll correct it in the next one. No, he is consistently, steadily misusing the witnesses. And I promise I've got the evidence. I've got it as strong as I have the evidence that Joseph Smith knew the Book of Readings, which facsimile one and facsimile three was a part of, was the Book of Abraham. And I will get to that in a couple of weeks. So again, irony. Yeah, yeah, irony. And I've written the most complete overall in-context paper on all of the contemporary witnesses of Joseph Smith anywhere in print. And I will I will bring that up next week. I was planning on reading from it tonight. I, I honestly thought I'd be able to get through all this stuff, but I get so dadgum excited about sharing it with you because it brought clarity to me, man. Um, I'm no longer, I no longer feel muddled. You know what I mean? When someone brings up the Egyptian alphabet and grammar, now I know which folio they're talking about. And I know which hieroglyphics the Egyptian alphabet and grammar are from. And I know where the signature of Abraham was meant to be in Joseph Smith's understanding. And I know that the commencement of the record on the right-hand side of the Book of Breathings was the facsimile from the Book of Abraham. I now get all that relationship. I get the relationship that while the alphabet and grammar was taken from these hieroglyphics, the Book of Abraham text itself was translated from the Book of Breathings. And these are the hieroglyphs that they have in the manuscripts on the edge, and you see which parts of the book of Abraham they were translating from. We have Joseph Smith's methodology, man. Hugh Nibley made a big deal about that in his book, or, or his, uh, well, I mean, his articles, his book, everything. He constantly said, oh, Joseph Smith translated those. Well, how did he do it? Can you show us the exact method? Yes, Hugh Nibley. We can. <laughs> We can show you how Joseph Smith thought because we have the remnants of the evidence of how they dissected the hieroglyphics and then subjected each little piece part to a different degree of meaning. And, and I'll make a live show of that. I will show you how from that method, which they literally say they used. We have the evidence, you guys. I'm not making this up. It's in here. It's in here. 
They spell it out. This They show you the picture of the hieroglyph and they say, they specifically say, this is the character as it is dissected. And then they take each little separate dot, angle, angle line, straight line across and all, and they give it different degrees of signification and explain out what each degree does. And when they put it back all together, you're seeing one hieroglyph take 76 words to explain. They showed us the method. Oh, well, that's not valid. That's not our problem. We're the ones that say, that's not valid. <laughs> the Mormons ask us, how did he do it? We ask them, how did he do it? Because it sure isn't the right way. We now know how it was done. And this ain't it. <laughs> right? The evidence turns the tables. I can't tell you how exciting it is. The evidence clarifies it and turns the tables. That's my whole point. That's what got me so excited. And yes, and now it's interesting because now there are critics on the other side who are saying, oh, Carrie, you idiot. All you did is trade one side apologetics for another side of apologetics. I did, but... I now get to accept where the evidence points and I get to clearly read the evidence for myself and I am not being forced to make sure that I come to a preconceived conclusion that someone else wants me to arrive at. And that's all the difference. That is all the difference. So there is a difference between being a Mormon apologist and a non-Mormon apologist. Because apologists manipulate the evidence. I'm no longer an apologist. I am a seeker. And I let the evidence take me where it will. That's the difference, and that's key. I'm just, I'm just saying, that's key. That's no joke. So, you guys, thank you so very much for being with me tonight. Uh, I am so sorry I took you to two hours, but believe me, it's been two hours well spent. I, I hope. I hope you found this to be clarifying. That was my whole intent. I did. I found, once I began looking at the evidence, hot dang. Now I'm repeating myself. I apologize, but doggone it, it's exciting to get clear. So um, I'm going to close out. Thank you so much. And, and I love all of you. Um, all of Teresa Pittman, thank you for showing Trevor Va Van Blarcom, thank you for showing up. Other sheep, Teresa Pittman. Uh, yeah, now you guys are. Doug Vincent, Paul Osborne. Uh, Tim Rathbone, Mark Crispin, Goaty McGoatface. <laughs> I love your handles. Those are so awesome. So anyway, um, thank you so much. I will be on next Sunday night, 6 o'clock Mountain Time. Please do tell everyone you know it's going to be analyzing Kevin Barney's Semitic adaptation, which a lot of apologists now have begun to really tout. They say, hey, 
this could be the answer. Unfortunately, and it's nothing personal against Kevin. I love Kevin. I respect that man. He's good. He's good. I'm not kidding. I like him. His argument has fatal flaws. It can't be correct. I will begin to examine the evidence, and I will do it in great detail. His book, his uh, article is in uh, it's in this text, Astronomy, Papyrus, and Covenant, and I will completely dismantle it, not as an offensive against him as a person. I am not doing an ad hominem when I refute the arguments. I am not going to ad hominem John Gee at all, that little runt of an Egyptologist. Sorry, did I <laughs> Well, Joseph Smith called the mummy the little runt of a guy, Pharaoh Necho. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do ad hominem, I promise. I just find, now that I've looked at the evidence, I find their arguments completely unpersuasive. And here, again, the final irony, and then I'll close out. The final irony. Mormon apologists today, now, because of the overwhelming amount of evidence, and I mean, I've shown you a pretty good chunk here, right? Apologists now have to ignore what Joseph Smith said in order to defend him. <laughs> I promise I will demonstrate that extensively beginning next week and carrying on into when I analyze John Gee in two weeks from tonight and Carrie Mulstein and Michael Dennis Rose and Hugh Nibley. I am going to take apart Hugh Nibley because he was the man in my apologetic career and I have no ill feelings toward any party. I don't. I'm just saying, look, the evidence shows something very incredible, and it's very clear, and I'm going to share that. So I am closing out now. So thank you so much. It's been so wonderful seeing all of you. I, I appreciate the audience. I appreciate the attendance. Thank you for your donations. Thank you for all of your fun in the uh, chat, but I'm going to shut you off. I apologize. I'll read the chat, and then we can see you next week right here, same time, same place. Thank you so much. I will try to work out what happened with so many people not getting on here early on. Uh, I, I suspect somehow I, I hooked up to the wrong link and I apologize. So I will, I will iron that out this week. Okay. Love all you guys. Be good. Have fun. Do well. Sleep well. Work hard and come back. You're in for some great stuff coming up. Gotta go.